Welcome to our Wednesday Bible study on the book of Hebrews. In this video, we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to see how Jesus is our high priest. That's the same thing that we looked at last week and also in previous weeks before. We've looked at how Jesus is our high priest, but we're going to continue looking at how Jesus is our high priest, and specifically how he is our high priest with this new covenant that we are under. Have you ever perhaps been sitting in a sermon at church or perhaps a Bible class and then you're just kind of wishing that you sort of knew the point of it all, kind of wish you knew where it was supposed to be going so that you could maybe put some pieces together? Uh, you know, sadly, sometimes that even happens to the preacher because you're up there and you're thinking, maybe I haven't even uh, driven this home. You know, I had this one main point that I wanted to give, but it's just not really coming across. That happens to me from time to time, as I'm sure it happens to, to uh, you, you know, sitting there in, in the pews wishing that you knew what the main point was. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, we get a statement about the main point of what Hebrews is about and, and what the Hebrew writer is trying to make. I find it very interesting that we've gone for seven chapters and then all of a sudden now we see, okay, this is really the main point. Okay, here it is. Let's take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So I happen to think that because the Hebrew writer says, Look, the main point of what we are saying is this. I think that when we come across a phrase like that, we need to pay attention to it and we need to see. And perhaps if what we've gotten from the book so far and what we are going to continue to be getting from the book uh, throughout the rest of the book, if it doesn't line up with what we see right here, maybe we've been focusing on the wrong part. So what is it specifically that is stated? Okay, the main point. We do have a high priest. See, that was important, especially for the Hebrews, because they come from a Jewish background. They come from this background where they always have these priests and specifically the high priest as well. And this whole kind of uh, what we would oftentimes call a ritualistic uh, way of, of religion. You know, that's how we kind of look at it sometimes. But it was important for those people to recognize, yes, things have changed in Christ, but yet all of those things from the Old Testament, they pointed toward exactly where we are in history and exactly where they were. Uh, and this is why the book of Hebrews need to be written. They need to understand, yeah, we still do have a high priest. However, he's a better high priest. This high priest, he's at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. I mean, that's, that's powerful right there. That is our high priest. Because all the other high priests who were on the earth, they just had to minister while here on this earth. They weren't at the right hand of God. But our high priest in Christianity, he is Jesus Christ, and he is at the right hand of God. Uh, verse 2 also says that he serves, um, it says that he serves in the sanctuary. Now, this sanctuary is different, and I don't know that we talk as much about sanctuary. You know, some some churches, they, they kind of have a, a uh, habit, I guess you might say, or a tradition of calling their auditorium sanctuary. Um, I don't know that we really do that very much, but you know the, the concept of it kind of comes to that is supposed to be the time and the place, so to speak, in which we really devote our time to God 
where we come and, and leave behind these other things and we just, we're devoted to God. Obviously, we understand that we're always supposed to be devoted to God. However, we've kind of set aside the, the church building as that place where this is kind of our sanctuary. This is where we really do uh, drop all these other things that might be distracting us and we try to focus on God. Obviously, you know as well as I do, sometimes that works better than other times. And here, really, this sanctuary um, that we're talking about is not actually the church building. Okay, I don't want you to make that application from it because I don't believe that's what the Hebrew writer was saying. Uh, the sanctuary that we are looking at is this true tabernacle that the Lord set up. See, that's so important. Now, it's not a physical tabernacle, though. It's not a physical temple. It's not a physical sanctuary. And it wasn't made by just human beings, not just by mere human beings. Now, this tabernacle is uh, really what we're going to look into in the next few chapters is that's, that Jesus entered into heaven itself. And we've kind of already looked at that, too. Um, but that's why Jesus is our better high priest, because he didn't just serve here on this earth. He didn't just serve in this sanctuary, in this tabernacle. No, he went into heaven itself. That is powerful. Um, the, the Old Testament, though, they understood this about Jesus. Uh, not about Jesus, I'm sorry. They understood this about God, that, yes, they have the temple, and that's where they encounter God. However, that's not really where God lives. Uh, now, a lot of people in, in ancient cultures, you know, they set up temples and they believed, oh, this is where uh, our God lives. The Jewish temple, yeah, it was kind of like that. This is where God works on earth, but it was more than that. Why would I say it's more than that? Well, when you read the Old Testament, you find out they believed it was more than that. Let's take a look at one of these passages. In 1 Kings chapter 8, you see that the, the temple has just been built and they're dedicating this temple. But in the midst of them dedicating the temple, Solomon prays this prayer. And he says in verse 27 especially, he says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. See, he understands. They built this temple. It was important. It, it really was important. It was God. It was where God was going to kind of set his feet. In fact, some places calls it the footstool of God. Uh, so, yeah, that's where he sets his feet. That's kind of where he comes into earth's, so to speak, you know, earth's domain. Um, but yet we know that. God isn't even contained in the highest of heavens. You know, that's not even the only place that he is. Solomon knew that. Okay, they all knew that in the Old Testament. But that doesn't take away from the purpose of their temple and the point of the temple. It doesn't take away from that. Just like today, yes, we know uh, about where God is, that, you know, he really is everywhere. And, you know, we can't just put him in some type of box or four walls or anything like that. We understand that, just like they did. Um, but we see here that this is the type of sanctuary. This is the type of tabernacle that Jesus is talking about. This is the one that he serves at. Is It's beyond these other things. It's not about a physical temple. It's beyond that. Um, when you keep looking, I, I put up other verses on here. But whenever you look at this, this is really just a call out to God um, to hear from, from heaven, actually. Um, in verse 30, the last phrase, the last sentence of this passage is, Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So Solomon knew, okay, God is up in heaven, but we built this temple, and this is kind of where he dwells. It was kind of a, 
a combination of heaven and earth, uh, or it was a way to have, I guess you might look at it like this, it was a way to have a little piece of heaven on earth. We see that sometimes it worked out better than, than other times of doing that, but that's what the temple was supposed to be, and that's what Solomon has in his mind uh, here in these passages. Um, and some of those concepts do carry over into the New Testament as well. That's the concept of a temple. Um, yet in the New Testament, the temple that's being described is our bodies. You know, our bodies are the temple. So God's dwelling is literally among us and within us. Uh, so we see all these kind of images tying together and this huge significance from the Old Testament carried over into the New. But we see that, that Jesus is our high priest and we see that it has more meaning, a deeper meaning. Uh, in Jesus Christ and how he serves us or how he has served us and how he, he guides us at this point and just what he's done for us. It's wonderful. The Hebrew writer's not done describing that though. Let's keep looking at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter eight. Now let's pick back up here in verse three and go through verse six. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. We're about to look at those better promises, so you know, just, just brace yourself for that. But before we get there, we see this high priest, this better high priest that we have. We see this tabernacle uh, as it was. It's not one that's on earth. In fact, Jesus was not serving um, us on earth. That's not where he carried out his priestly duty, so to speak. See, in verse four, it talks about how he's not on earth. See, if he were on earth, there's already a priesthood that's supposed to take place. That's the one from the tribe of Levi. So that priesthood was all well and good and it served its purpose, but it was pointing toward another priesthood, the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. We looked at that last chapter and a, a few chapters ago as well. Jesus serves as that type of a priest. Uh, we also see from verse five that the tabernacle that they were making or even the temple that they were making, it was just to be a copy just to be a pattern, a shadow of what is in heaven. So now I think that's amazing. And maybe I kind of like the tabernacle layout a little bit more than, than uh, you know, just kind of your, your average Christian, I guess. And, um, but I, I love looking at it. I love studying it because I see all these things that point toward what Jesus Christ was going to do. And I can't help but think that those different items that they were supposed to place uh, inside of the tabernacle and later the temple, that those items reflect something about heaven itself, about the throne of God itself. I don't want to get too much into details about all of that because guess what? We're going to look at that in the next chapter. So uh, stay tuned next week and we'll see that. Uh, I know I keep kind of saying that there's more, but for right now, recognize there it was important for them to make the tabernacle like the pattern because it's supposed to represent what it is in heaven. That's what verse five really focuses on so much. Uh, and then we see from uh, verse six here about this ministry that Jesus has. It's superior. This covenant is also superior, um, not because it's new, 
you know, I, I know that sometimes, sadly, today, we, we like the latest and the greatest things. That's not why the new covenant is better. It's not just because it's newer. The new covenant, I mean, let's, let's face it, the new covenant is 2,000 years old, so it's not really a new thing, but it's important and it's powerful. Why is it important? Why is it powerful? Because what it's stated here is it's established on better promises. What are those promises? Well, the Hebrew writer knew that we would start thinking, okay, so, so what promises are you talking about there? Because you could think about quite a few promises, but which ones is he? Which ones are, are he thinking about and, and have in mind? Well, uh, let's see. Hebrews chapter 8, now verses 7, uh, really through the end of the chapter. And I know that the font on the screen is a little small. Hopefully you can still, still read it. Uh, I tried to make it the best that I could in order for us to, to be able to read it together. Uh, but I didn't want to separate these verses because I think it's important to, to look at it as a whole. So Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13 now. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place could have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not uh, remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I have established with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Okay, so here, the Hebrew writer, he's talking about these promises. By the way, he's quoting from the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. I believe it's verses, uh, yes, it's verses 31 through 34. That's what's quoted here in this text uh, in Hebrews 8. But in this passage, you know, it was given even while the old law was in place. They were told there's going to be a new covenant. Now, that shouldn't come as too much of a surprise for us because, you know, there were several covenants even under the uh the, the law of Moses. You know, we, we think about it as just the old covenant and the new covenant. And yeah, that's that's some of it. But, you know, there was also a time period before the law of Moses. You know, Abraham and everything he did, that was before the law of Moses. But yet it wasn't before God. And there was a huge um, moment of faith and clarity that he had. And kind of he was in a covenant relationship with God. Obviously, the uh, the Jewish people, you know, they trace their lineage back to Abraham. That's what's important. There's a reason why they don't just trace it back to Moses. Moses isn't the guy who started this faith journey. It goes back to Abraham. He's the one who came from the Tower of Babel that, during that time period in, in Genesis 11. He's the one who picks up his story in Genesis 12 and goes on throughout the rest of the Bible. And we see God, what he's doing through the descendants of that one man, Abraham. Um, anyways, maybe that's a little, little off topic. Back to this one. New Covenant. So here, this new covenant, it's going to be different. And God makes it plain. It's not going to be like the old covenant. There were some problems with the old covenant. Uh, obviously, there was, there was a need for, for a new one. Um, this new one, however, 
uh, we're not expecting another one. That this new one is going to last throughout the rest of of uh, time here on this earth as we know it. Uh, it will last us uh, until that moment of in which we uh, enter into all of eternity. But this new covenant that we have, it's so important for us to recognize there is a difference in the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. There are similarities. There's a lot from the old covenant that points toward the new. And I, I like to point those things out and I, because really that helps me understand why the Old Testament is so important for us to learn because it gives us a foundation in which to build on and to understand these things from the new covenant. Uh, so here in this new covenant, things are going to be different. There's something about this heart, something about the mind um, that's even different than the old covenant. Now, they did get glimpses of that under the old covenant. And we also see that uh, there's something about the knowledge of God. In verse 11, you know, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them, the greatest. There's going to be a, this personal relationship that's talked about with the new covenant. That is a difference. And I hope it's a difference that you're living out right now, that you're recognizing that you can have this close and personal relationship with the God of all creation. I mean, that's a powerful thought. And that's that, that would be wonderful just to think about that just for a bit. You know, just meditate on the fact that we can have a wonderful relationship with God, who is creator of all things. It's because of this new covenant. We can know God. We also see from verse 12 something so powerful. Wickedness is going to be forgiven. He's going to remember their sin. He's going to remember our sins no more. It's hard for us to even forget about the things that we've done in the past and to not have that guilt still come up every once in a while to us. But in Jesus Christ, we're told that he will remember their sin. He will remember our sin no more. And then we also see that that which was old is obsolete, is outdated. And it will soon disappear. And it did. It did soon disappear after the, the book of Hebrews was uh, was written. And that's why this book is, is so important. It was preparing them for things are different. Things are new. This new covenant, it is different. We need to be uh, talking about this and understanding this. Uh, so let's look at a few passages in the Old Testament, though. And I want to share with you some of the glimpses that they had about this new covenant. And really, this new covenant and what we see the fulfillment of in this new covenant is what God wanted in the Old Covenant. But yet the Old Covenant, it was just incapable of doing that because the Old Covenant was too tied to this earth. The New Covenant, it's not. Uh, it, it's Everything is, is better uh, under the New Covenant. So let's take a look at some of the Old Covenant things and see um, what we can experience in the New Covenant. Here on this screen, we've got three different passages that kind of talk about our heart, uh, what it should be, and also what it could be. Some individuals uh, obtain this at different times, but by and large, most of the people didn't really have this type of relationship. In Psalm 119, verse 11, we read the psalmist who says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, that goes into really this expectation of what the new covenant was supposed to be. And by the way, just because you have um, God's word, you know, in your mind and, and in your memory, that's a little different, I believe, than how the word is in our heart. You know, when, when a word is, when the word of God is in your heart, you do these things by instinct, by nature, just because it's so ingrained within you that it's almost like you just can't help but do what you know is right. Uh, of course, if we're, you know, trying to do what's right, which is what the goal, what, what God wanted us to do all along. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see another goal of what the uh, what was supposed to be done in this in this covenant and what can be done in the new covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is so important to Israel. Uh, it is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. See, that was the goal. There was always supposed to be this intimate relationship between God and his people. God kept trying it, but the people kept resisting it for whatever reason. But in the new covenant, we can obtain those things. It's our choice, of course. We can also choose to, to walk away from those things. But we can choose to obtain them. We can choose to grab hold of them and keep hold of them. Um, also about this passage here in Deuteronomy, just a little bit of a reminder. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, this is what he answered. He talked about loving God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. It's related to what they were supposed to do. It was supposed to be, the law was supposed to always be uh, guiding them to God. We know in reality it guided them to Jesus Christ, at least as a people. And it allows us to, to know these great things in Jesus Christ and how wonderful we have it today. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we also see another thing about this. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, talking about the law and really the word of God, verse 14 reads, No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, th this, was, this was the goal. This is what God wanted, and God gets it in the new covenant. One final passage from the book of uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel the prophet in chapter 36, verses 26 through 27, he talks about this heart issue. He talks about this new heart. And God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel said this. And then Jeremiah, keep in mind, in chapter 31, he talked about a new covenant. So we see there's going to be this new covenant, this new heart, this new spirit, all these new things. Well, it comes into place whenever we see the new covenant being fulfilled. We can obtain that new heart. We can see this new spirit doing mighty things among us. We can see all these things being made new through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. Going back to Hebrews chapter 8 now. This is the, the passage we just read, and, and this is finishes us out. But here in this passage, I just want us to remember that it goes back to this new covenant in which we are now living. You know, so many people from the Old Testament, they would, they would just love to see what we're experiencing today. We're able to experience it today in this new covenant. Let's not forget that. Let's, let's strive during this time, and let's share uh, this new covenant with people around us so that that way we may all know uh, the Lord personally, just like verse 11 says. I mean, wouldn't it be great if this could be a reality? No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. We can obtain that, and we can obtain that because of this new covenant, because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what the book of Hebrews is all about is Jesus and that he is our high priest, and he's come in this new covenant, this better covenant, in which we can partake of. That's wonderful news. That's the good news. We've got to be sharing.